0: The title of this message this morning is The Focus of Faith. And seeing as next week is what the world celebrates called Halloween, Uh, Christians celebrate Reformation Day. And there's no bigger figure in the Reformation than Martin Luther. So I wanna begin this morning talking about the prominent figure of who he was and how God greatly used him to bring people back to the word of God. And before Luther came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, He lived a very pious life. He was deeply religious. And from from a young age on, this question often arose in his heart. Oh, when for once shall I become holy and do enough in order to receive the grace of God? And after surviving an incident involving a, a lightning storm, he became a monk. He thought that the monastery would offer him peace from his troubled and tortured spirit. And for him, it was a meritorious to vow to become a monk. For Luther, if a monk did the very best he could do, then God would give him his grace as a reward. And living as a monk, Luther sought peace. He sought salvation, and he he was determined to do all he could to get that salvation he was longing for. He often fasted. It's said that he prayed eight times a day. He slept very little and without blankets and even perform painful self-infliction for his own sins. Luther said this about his life in the monastery. He said, I was a good monk and I kept the rule of my order so strictly that I may, that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. All my brothers in the monastery who knew me will bear me out. If I, if I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, reading, and other work. And fast forward a little bit in his life, Luther became a professor lecturing to university students on the scriptures, especially from the book of Romans. And it was this book of Romans that began to give light to his soul. Texts such as Romans 1 16 and 17, which reads, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith another text that was important for luther was romans three twenty, for by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin these texts would change luther's life forever luther came to an end of himself and his self-righteousness and gave up his works-based religion no longer was his soul troubled and tortured He experienced the grace of God in his life. And this is a longer quote, but this is Luther himself describing his conversion. It says, quote, I greatly longed to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans, and nothing stood in the way but that one expression, the righteousness of God, because I took it to mean that that justice whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. My situation was that, although an impeccable monk I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience, and I had no confidence that my merit would assuage him. Therefore, I did not love a just and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. Yet I clung to the dear Paul and had a great yearning to know what he meant. He goes on to say, night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the righteousness of God and the statement that the righteous shall live by faith. Then I grasped, that the justice of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy God justifies us through faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of scripture took on a new meaning, and whereas before the justice of God had filled me with hate, now it became to me an inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage, of, this passage of Paul became to me a gate to heaven. Luther lived by works, and he experienced the bankruptcy of false religion. He was diligent, but he was still distant from God. And then, by God's grace, he came to know that the just live by faith, and the doors flung open. The gates of heaven opened up to him. It's because Luther assumed that God was pleased by mere religion. Luther assumed that God was pleased by mere religion. And brothers and sisters, if that were true, then Jesus never needed to die. If all we need is a knowledge and understanding of a certain set of rules, (coughs) sorry, rules, regulations, and principles for living, then Jesus didn't need to come. But what we need to know and understand and believe and trust is that without the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no power to overcome sin. We have no power to change. And more than that, 1 Corinthians 15 tells that our faith would be futile. We would have no hope, and we of all people would be most to be pitied. So do you see how self-centered religion robs God of his glory and diminishes the work of Jesus Christ? Let me ask you this question. Do you fully understand and grasp the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus Christ for your life? Christ is sufficient for you. His work and his word is sufficient for your sanctification, for your growth in holiness. In other words, you have all the resources you need to be like Christ because you have Christ. Look no further than him to live the Christian life. Look at the end of verse 23. What does Paul say about living by any other means than Christ alone? What does Paul say about trying to add, subtract, or replace, or substitute Jesus Christ? He says it's of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul makes it clear on how we grow as believers. Last time we looked at Colossians 2.19, which says, holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. For the Christian, holding fast to the life giver, Jesus Christ will keep you on the right path and will lead to life. On the other hand, not holding fast to Christ will open you up to all kinds of error and deception and will not lead to life. In other words, living a self-centered religion rather than a Christ-centered faith will rob you of your joy and assurance. And here's the main point of the sermon. In order to grow, in order to make real progress, you must focus your faith on Christ. You must focus your faith on Christ, a person and this morning, Paul is going to wrap up this section about false teachers and their false teaching. As you know, starting from chapter two, verse eight, all the way up to our passage this morning, Paul has been refuting false teachers and the threats of it that were beginning to infiltrate the churches. And we've seen Paul say in chapter two, verse eight, he says, "See, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit." Verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you." And verse 18, let no one disqualify you. The false teachers were seeking to add to the work of Christ. They promoted and promised higher secret knowledge and freedom. On the other hand, Paul says, if you've received Jesus Christ, you've received everything you need. There's nothing more Christ could have done than he has done, is what Paul is saying. And if I could put it this way, if Christ isn't enough for us believers, then nothing will ever be enough. And what was this? What was the folly of these false teachers? As we just read in verse nineteen, their folly was they were disconnected from the head, Jesus Christ. They held fast to other means and thought that they were attaining holiness and higher and higher levels of spirituality apart from Christ. Paul has provided the solution loud and clear every single time we've covered Colossians. The solution is Jesus Christ a wholehearted belief in and a right knowledge of the savior will guard against all forms of error And not only will it guard you from error But it will guide you on holy living And as we will see we don't grow and change by man's methods We grow and change by faith in the son of god in obedience to his word and independence on his on the holy spirit and these days when churches hear messages on growing as a Christian, especially in God's way and on, in God's terms, it's received with blank stares and boredom. On the other hand, ears begin to perk up if they're told that the message is on some new method for quick growth that's exciting and impressive. And this sermon this morning will not be about some new method for growth, but rather it will, be, it will highlight why all teaching devoid of Jesus Christ is of no value. The false teacher, the false teaching, as we've learned last time, we learned about legalism and mysticism. Now this false teaching didn't only consist of legalism and mysticism as as we covered, it also consisted of asceticism. And this morning I want us to consider this idea of asceticism. So if you're taking notes, the outline is Um, simple the heart of asceticism the hollowness of asceticism and the hopelessness of asceticism and my prayer is that we would come to a greater understanding of the supremacy of jesus christ that we would see how often we look to ourselves for what only christ can provide and that we would see how much we need christ for all of life and that we would look to jesus and walk by faith to put to death the deeds of the flesh that so easily entangle us knowing that Christ isn't only our example but the one who gives us strength and power and the one who is the very power behind our growth and sanctification so let's begin by looking at the heart of asceticism verses 20 and 21 so the heart of asceticism is the idea that if you live a self a life of self-denial if you abstain from certain things If you restrict yourself and even inflict yourself, you can gain righteousness. You can become more spiritual. And I want to just define this term regulations as we begin, uh, because it's a word that we're we're hearing often these days with COVID regulations and all of these other things. The word regulations in in this verse that we're covering refers to man-made religious rules and rituals. Man-made religious rules and rituals. Paul says... You've died with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world. Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Why are you living as if you still belong to the world? Your association with the world was a former thing. Galatians 6.14 tells us that we've been crucified to the world. Paul says there, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and eye to the world. Again, Paul is asking, "Why would you live under the influence and control of a worldly system of religion that's based on the elemental spirits of the world?" And these elemental spirits, or the elementary principles of the world, is what is what Paul is going to bring up, namely, trusting in rules made by man to gain spirituality and salvation. According to Paul. That, that way of thinking, that way of living, that's a basic thing of the world system that we've been set free from. So Paul's question again, why would you go back to that which you have been freed from? We've learned in previous messages that we've been free, that we're free, forgiven, and full in Jesus Christ. Our union with him, our union with Jesus Christ is a living union, meaning that our life is controlled not by man's laws, but by God in Christ. In verse 20 of chapter 2, in verse 20, Paul summarizes what he said earlier in verses 12 through 15, where he said, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So Paul's point, you've died with Christ. Submitting to regulations is inconsistent with that death. Why bow down to that which Christ has triumphed over? We walk in newness of life. We've been set free from sin. We're no longer enslaved to sin because we died to sin and are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 6, verses 2 to 4. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we can truly, we can only truly live for Christ if we've truly died to sin, self, the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'll say that again. We can only truly live for Christ if we truly died to sin, self, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Again, Why submit to the regulations of the world when the Lord of the universe, Jesus Christ, the one who already disarmed the rulers and authorities, has given you freedom in your union with Christ? You're identified with Christ. No longer do you belong to the world. And this is a word for all of us. It's simple, but it's profound. You died with Christ, and your death changes everything. And knowing ourselves, naturally, we focus faith on ourselves or, or our own efforts to change. Or in this case, in the case of our passage, we focus our faith on some man-made formula. I'm reminded of the song, Prone to Wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And as we learned last time, we need to guard our freedom in Christ by holding fast to him. We must focus faith on Christ, the substance and source of salvation. No longer, we learn, can Satan accuse you. No longer can your past, present, or future change your standing with Jesus Christ. Never think, never think that your past sins makes you not good enough to be one of God's people. Never think that when you fall short, that when you fail, you can lose your salvation. And never think that every future time you will fall short and sin, that you'll have to make up for it by performing. Why? Because your standing approval is based entirely on Jesus Christ. You've died and have been set free to the world system of religion. You've had a change of address. The world can no longer knock on your door because you no longer live there. And you don't relate to God by doing things or by keeping yourself from doing things. You relate to God in union with your Savior, Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, God loves you based on what Jesus has done and our union with him, not anything we do or fail to do. And to be clear, this doesn't mean we don't have to obey God's word. It means his love isn't based on our performance. Our freedom in Christ is freedom from sin's penalty, sin's power, and sin's condemnation. What that means is that we've been freed to obey God's Word, which we could never do before. And the heart and foundation of asceticism is following man's regulations that restrict, thinking it will lead you to grow in godliness, godliness, thinking that you will somehow gain approval with God. It's self-centered religion, rather than a Christ-centered faith. We need to know that it's never about our own ability to faithfully keep man-made rules and rituals, because our foundation is Jesus Christ. He's our everything, and everything rests on what he has done through Christ. It's been said, on your worst day as a Christian, you're seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. And on your best day as a Christian, you still don't deserve any of it. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Another song, I will glory in my Redeemer. My life he bought, my love he owns. I have no longings for another, I'm satisfied in him alone. I will glory in my Redeemer, his faithfulness my standing place. Though foes are mighty and rush upon me, my feet are firm, held by his grace. Our feet are firm, held by his grace. You see you see why Paul asked the question, why? Why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? You died to the system of trying to stand on your own two feet where you think you can come before a holy God on the basis of how good you are, on the basis of your own works, why would you return to that system? Why would you return to those elementary principles of the world? Next, we have Paul quoting some of these rules. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And There's not much explanation here because to handle means to hold something or to have contact for a period of time. To taste means to taste, and to touch is similar to handle, but it has the idea of making a brief contact with. But I want you to notice the restricting of the restrictions. I want you to notice the restricting of the restrictions. There's a progression of limiting what people were free to do, from do not handle to do not taste to don't even touch it. In verse 16, Paul said, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. So most likely, the regulations he quotes refers to food restrictions, although they could also be representative of a larger set of regulations. The Greeks, they believed that the body was evil and the soul was good. So they sought to take care of the, the soul by neglecting the body. This, they thought and taught, would lead to a holy life. The more you restrict your physical body, the more spiritual you'll become. The more harsh you are with your body, the more full you'll be. And in past history, people have done some strange things along these lines. Things such as not marrying, or even forbidding marriage, or moving to remote caves to be isolated from the world, thinking that they won't fall into temptation when there's no one else around them. There's a guy named Simon the Stylite, who you might have heard of. He lived buried up to his neck in the ground for several months. He also decided to achieve holiness by becoming a pole sitter, spending over 30 years on top of a 60-foot pillar. Some even lived in fields and grazed grass like cattle. And one guy, after deciding to live the ascetic life, decided he'll never undress or bathe again. And those are pretty extreme examples. But to think that living a life of self-denial somehow makes you more spiritual is a foreign concept in Scripture. In our day, it might be things like don't drink, don't dance, don't gamble, don't dress that way. Even things like don't wear seatbelts and don't buy insurance because that shows that you have a lack of faith in God. Jesus addressed this this issue in mark chapter 7 verse 14 by saying there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him but the things that come out of a person are what defile him he further explained to his disciples that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled and thus he declared all foods clean And Jesus said what comes out of a person is what defiles him What comes out of a person is what defiles him for from within out of the heart of man come evil thoughts sexual immorality theft murder Adultery coveting wickedness deceit sensuality envy slander pride foolishness all these evil things come from within and They defile a person So what is the real issue? not rules and regulations, not physical food or abstaining from food. The real issue, as Jesus addressed and as Paul is gonna address, is our hearts. The real issue is our heart. The heart of asceticism does nothing to change your heart. And this is clearly seen in the life of the Pharisees who, who elevated human tradition and rules above the commands of God in their attempts to be self-righteous, they lost sight of the very heart of the law. And as as I said before, anyone can follow rules and still be spiritually dead inside. And the, the, the Pharisees proved this. For some of us, we may be trying to win the battle against sin by avoidance and restrictions. And let me tell you, it can't be done. You can never cure the soul by your own effort and power. Another way to put it, external rules can never create a new nature within us. So what does this teach us? A religion based on a system of man-made rules that calls for self-denial and abstinence is heartless. It should never be used as a measurement of holiness. The Bible tells us that all our righteous deeds are like a filthy rags. Righteousness is more than not doing things. And that, can't be, that can never be your salvation because salvation doesn't come from you or by you somehow helping God to get you saved by your strict man-made moral code. Righteousness comes from Jesus Christ who made an end to sin, who put away sin by his death. The death of Christ and our identification in his death is the foundation of our living we're only counted righteous because we've been clothed with the righteousness of, the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. So may you have no other foundation than your firm foundation, Jesus Christ. And may you know that your freedom was purchased by Christ, and it's he who makes you free. Not submitting to regulations. So that's the first thing. Asceticism, at its heart, is heartless. Next, the hollowness of asceticism. Verse 22 says, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Asceticism not only doesn't change our hearts, but it also, it's also hollow. It's futile. And Paul gives us two reasons why. First, it refers to things that all perish as they're used. The idea is that it focuses attention on things that don't last Things that are destroyed as they're used up, such as food. The false teachers were putting a major emphasis on this. They're putting a major emphasis on food or rules, things that just pass away and perish. The prohibitions are concerned with material and transitory things. Paul's pointing out that these things are not the things that matter most. These are not the things that matter most. 1 Corinthians 6.13 once food is consumed, it is destroyed. Paul says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. So man-made rules and regulations make no spiritual impact. They go an inch deep and never see the hidden person of the heart. And instead of, instead of supposedly leading to fullness and freedom, they actually lead you into bondage. A bondage, we know, believers have already died to. So brothers and sisters, there's only one lawgiver, and it's Jesus Christ. It's not any one of us. And to think that rules and avoidance of things leads to spiritual maturity distorts the gospel and is also deadly. And just like legalism and mysticism, asceticism puffs up the self-righteous who think that as they're keeping these rules, they're gaining holiness. But it also, on the other hand, it discourages and leads people into despair who can't keep the rules. So we see it's a lose-lose situation, and we need to understand that it's always going to result in a loss of joy. It's going to take our focus away from Christ, and it diminishes the glory and freedom we have in Christ, which he died to give us. So that's the first reason. The second reason why asceticism is hollow is it's according to human precepts and teachings. It's according to human precepts and teachings. It's Human teaching based on human commands, it's not inspired by God. Its focus is on the earth, not on Christ. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to, elemental, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So once again, we can hear Paul saying, why submit to regulations that are man-centered and come from man? We looked at Mark 7 earlier, but we'll return there again. The Pharisees, they come to Jesus, and they see that some of his disciples ate with their hands that were unwashed. And the Pharisees and Jews, they didn't eat unless they washed their hands properly. This was part of their tradition. And so they asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And Jesus calls them hypocrites in response and then he quotes Isaiah 29:13 which says this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me in vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men that's a strong rebuke from Jesus to the Pharisees and and we need to flee we need to flee man-centered religion it doesn't change the heart, and it doesn't teach the commandment of God. So don't concern yourself with merely human commandments. Rather, concern yourself with more important matters, the, command- the commandments and teachings of Christ. We're full and free in Christ. We don't live as if we're still alive in the world. And we don't trust in ourselves. And we don't trust in our works. We trust and have our confidence in Jesus Christ. And remember that there's no more condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, which means obedience doesn't bring about a right relationship with Jesus Christ, and disobedience doesn't bring about spiritual ruin either. And this is a critical part to understand. Obedience is a response to what God has done for us in Christ, and disobedience ought to lead you, ought to drive you back to your Savior on whom all our hope is built. So what the false teachers were promoting was hollow. There's no substance because there's no focus on Jesus Christ. And what they thought would produce holiness actually produced hollowness and a false sense of spirituality. So the question for us is, where's the focus of your faith? Where is the focus of your faith? God has revealed to us how to be saved and how to grow spiritually. And if we look to any other source other than what God has revealed to us in his word and in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, those efforts we see, we learn, are hollow. Those efforts are futile. Again, we have to ask why. Because you can't find salvation or grow outside of the God who made you. So brothers and sisters, let us concern ourselves with spiritual matters and let's make sure that we do it God's way. Some more questions to, to think about. Do you have a desire and hunger to grow? Do you have a desire to put to death sin? Are you growing in your hatred of sin? Do you have a growing love for God's commands? Could it be said, could it be that you're striving hard to grow? but it's a striving without a faith solely in Christ? Could it be that you're living religiously with no real connection to the head? Could it be that you're trying to get your life together without focus on Jesus Christ? Could it be that you've misunderstood freedom and forgiveness in Christ to mean that you don't need to put in the effort to change, that somehow magically God will do it all for you, The living Word of God brings life to the people of God. Ask God to give you a hunger and passion for His Word. And when God gives you a hunger, the living Christ will come alive in the living Word. You'll sacrifice. You'll be eager to learn. You'll do whatever it takes to understand the Word of God. Because growth begins with a true understanding of what it says And and about the person of Jesus Christ. God changes us as we understand his word and as his spirit accompanies the word to change us from the inside out. And the Bible will challenge you. The Bible will convict you. The Bible will expose your sin. But the Bible also exposes the way in which God has decisively dealt with your sin. Namely, in a perfect atonement, in a full and final atonement, in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ." Again, where's the focus of your faith? Where's the focus of your faith? The attractive thing about asceticism, as as Paul will go on to say, is that it's appealing, and it, it falls in line with how we naturally think, and we like to have rules and regulations to keep us in line. And we like rules to assess what's going on. And this takes us to our final point, the hopelessness of asceticism, verse 23. Paul says, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul here continues to take asceticism head on. He's aware that there's a constant danger and temptation to live by our fleshly efforts. Which is why he says these, he begins these, these rules and regulations, these human precepts and teachings, they have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. And here's the hopelessness of asceticism clearly stated. Paul says, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. God isn't pleased with mere religion. In other words, it might look good but it does nothing. And oftentimes, with a list of do's and don'ts, we can feel a sense of security. We can feel like we spiritually made it because we keep performing and achieving. Ultimately, that leads us to think that our duty to God is some chore. Because when you do this, and you do that, and you do this, then you've completed your duties before God. And that makes me me think of some rules that we can... Even make for ourselves. For example, if I say, don't talk to your mom that way, children can sit there with pouty faces or with an angry eye, because it doesn't change their heart. It doesn't make them love their mom more. And this is a good word to Christian parents. This is a good word to myself. If all, if all we do is give rules and regulations to control the behavior of our children and never address the reality of Jesus Christ then we set them up for failure when they leave the home because they'll have nothing to guide them because their obedience wasn't formed out of desires of the heart that want to do what's right a couple more examples i can do a devotion every night but i can't force my kids to love the lord why? Because rules can't change the heart. I can go on a weekly date night with Kat, but it's, it isn't going to make me love her more. It isn't going to make me love her like Christ loved the church. Counting to ten before blowing up isn't going to deal with anger. It might suppress. It might suppress it, but it's going to come out in other ways, and won't fix what's going on in the heart. Man-made rules go an inch deep and don't make us better because people be, don't make us better people because it never reaches the deeper portions of our heart even following biblical rules can go an inch deep and don't make us better people if there's no focus on Christ to change and there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with biblical rules there's nothing wrong with spiritual disciplines if the focus of faith is outside of ourselves There's nothing wrong with Bible studies in small groups if the focus isn't on ourselves, because all that does is feed our flesh, and it changes us not one bit. So you should read your Bible, and you should pray regularly. You should train up your children, but it shouldn't be for a check mark. It should be with your focus on Christ to know Him more. In order for true change to happen, It must reach the heart. This is what Paul is saying. False teaching, whether it be legalism, mysticism, asceticism, or anything else that tries to add or subtract from Jesus Christ is hopeless. And he gives us three reasons why it's hopeless. First, it's showy. Verse 23. It says it it promotes self-made religion. That speaks of a a do-it-yourself religion a religion of your own making. It's a would-be religion. And let's not forget the words of Jesus who said that we're to die to self, not promote self. The second word we see is asceticism, which Paul mentioned in verse 18 as well, where he says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. And we've covered this idea already, but um, the idea there is, let no one declare you unfit. Let no one act as your umpire. Let no one rob you of your prize by insisting on asceticism. So, asceticism, it promotes a false humility. humility. Third, severity to the body, which is closely related to asceticism. Other translations translate this harsh treatment to the body and even severe treatment to the body. It refers to fasting and may go beyond to even include forms of self-mutilation. And from the outside, it looks impressive. From the outside, it looks impressive. It has an appearance of wisdom. Look at those guys. Look at them. They're upright. They're religious. Look, at, look how committed they are. Look at what they're putting themselves through. Look at all the things they're avoiding. Again, we need to f- learn what we need to learn the lessons here. And what do we learn? Don't substitute the appearance of wisdom for Jesus Christ, the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Rigorous avoidance and self-denial doesn't stop the indulgence of the flesh. And it's been said religion without Christ is like a lamp without oil. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't do one thing to overcome the power of sin in your heart. Brothers and sisters, fleshly efforts can't solve heart problems. Our problem is not external, but internal. And man-made rules, they have an appearance of wisdom, but it's impossible for the flesh to control itself. Galatians 3.3, 3, the flesh can't control itself, better itself, or perfect itself. Paul says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Fleshly efforts will not result in growth and will lead you away from Christ. Fleshly efforts will not result in, will will rob you of your joy and assurance. Because self-made religion, asceticism and severity to the body doesn't get to the root of the problem. Someone commentating on this verse said, you can't fight a tank with a BB gun. You need something more to fight the flesh. You need spiritual Weapons. You may have heard the name Jerome. He was a, the early church father who translated the Bible into Latin. In trying to rid himself of lust, he moved to the desert so that he would be away from all temptation. Listen to his description while in the desert. Oh, how I've often imagined that I was in the midst of the pleasures of Rome, when I was stationed in the desert, in that solitary wasteland which is so burned up by the heat of the sun that it provides a dreadful habitation for the monks. I, who, because of the fear of hell, had condemned myself to such a hell and had nothing but scorpions and wild animals for company, often thought I was dancing with a chorus of girls. My face was pale from fasting, but my heart burned with passionate desires within my freezing body, and the fires of sex seethed. For Jerome, going to the desert, fasting, and all the ascetic practices did nothing to stop the indulgence of the flesh. His desires of the flesh, it says, still raged. That's the hopelessness of asceticism. That's the hopelessness of false religion. It does nothing to stop sin. It indulges the flesh. It actually feeds the flesh. Peter, in 1 Peter 2.11, says to abstain from the passions of the flesh flesh which wage war against your soul. So it's not just hopeless, it's also harmful. It's all appearance with no advantage. In other words, all this external performance has no effect on internal urges. Alexander McLaren, a, a commentator, said, there's only one thing that will put the collar on the neck of the animal within us, And that is the power of the indwelling Christ. When Jesus is given control, he not only gives us the Holy Spirit to fight against the flesh, but he also gives us new desires as well. We don't need rules for the outside because we have the Spirit on the inside. So what do we need? Inward transformation by the Holy Spirit. We need a love that surpasses our love for sin. Brothers and sisters, what you need is Jesus Christ. In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In him is all spiritual fullness. Christ and Christ alone will give you victory over sin. And we can hear Paul again. Why? Why do you submit yourselves to regulations? If you're in Christ, united to him by faith, crucified with him, dead to sin and self, if you've died with Christ, then you're dead to man-made religion. You're dead to the basic principles of the world. Why? Why, if you've come to fullness in Jesus Christ, would you drink from any other fountain? Where's the focus of your faith? As we've seen, if it's not in Christ, it's hopeless. Anything focused on self or on your own efforts to change or on some man-made rules will never bring about heart change. The problem is not outside of us, it's inside us. The problem is our heart, not our environment. Sin is an inside job. Alistair Begg says, every sin is an inside job. The devil comes and entices you to evil, but every time you and I sin, it's because we made the decision to sin on the inside. We open the door. So it's time for us to come to terms with the truth that only Jesus has the power to transform your life and to change you into who he wants you to be. Romans 13, 14, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Don't feed the flesh. Feed on the bread of life, Jesus Christ. And with all this talk on rules and regulations, I want to be clear again that I'm not saying discipline is bad, and I'm not saying to avoid all rules. What I am saying is to avoid man-made rules and regulations that aren't found in Scripture, and not to use that as a gauge to assess your spirituality. The Bible, we know, is full of commands for spirit-indwelt believers to obey and live out. The big difference is that we don't obey for righteousness or salvation. We obey because of who we are in Christ by faith. We don't put our hope and confidence in things that don't ultimately sanctify our souls. We put our hope and confidence in the one who pardoned our sins and purchased us by his very own precious blood. Real spiritual progress takes place by humble submission to God's word, holding fast to Christ and dependence on the Holy Spirit. So, may we fix our gaze on Him, because everything we need is in Him. The heart of asceticism, we learned, is heartless, because it does nothing to address or change the heart. The hollowness of asceticism, the problem there is that it refers to things that will all perish, and it, and it refers to things that are in accordance with the command and teachings of men. The hopelessness of asceticism, the problem there is has an outward appearance of wisdom, It's self-centered and self-harming and is of no value in dealing with sin. Back to the main point. In order to grow, in order to make real progress, you must focus your faith on Christ, a person. You must believe who he is and what he has done, and you must walk by faith in what he has commanded in his word. Focusing your faith on Christ will ultimately involve repentance. Back to Martin Luther who said From beginning to end The Christian life is about repentance What does that mean? It means You don't make progress By hiding your sin You only make progress In confessing it And here's a wonderful truth It's the grace of God To show you your sin And it's the grace of God that changes you As he forgives you of your sin No matter what sin it is, the good news of the gospel is that there's no sin God won't forgive. Therefore, there should be no sin that you don't confess. And if you're here or watching online and don't know Jesus Christ, I want to tell you that you have a heart problem. You have a sin problem that no worldly religion can solve, that no human method can cure. All attempts to live a good and moral life is heartless hollow and hopeless. However, the good news is that Jesus will turn your heart of stone into a heart of flesh and will forgive you of your sin and your self-righteousness. Repent and believe in him today and you can experience newness of life, have the hope of eternal life and live free from the guilt, shame and condemnation of sin. So I ask you, will you repent and put your trust in in Jesus Christ. Believers, life in a fallen world is full of ups and downs, peaks and valleys, and there will be times when you get discouraged. There will be times when you don't feel like you're making any real spiritual progress, or wonder why your changes never last. Remember, the way to respond isn't to say, I'm going to do more. I'm going to look for new ways outside of God's prescribed way to grow. I'm going to separate more from the world and measure my growth in regard to that." Brothers and sisters, separation from the world and what you do or don't do is never a measure of your growth and maturity. And you may be tempted to think, look at how unlike the world I am. Look at all that I'm doing. Look at all that I don't do that the world does. John Piper said, wherever authentic, joyful confidence in Christ diminishes, regulations are brought in to preserve what the power of Christ once created. So very simply, he's saying, if Christ isn't your all, then self will feed personal merit and importance. And when you fall back on do's and don'ts, it shows how little you understand Jesus Christ and how you need grace to understand what it means to have died with him. The measure of your growth and maturity is how much you are like Christ. The person of Jesus Christ ought to be the object and focus of your faith. Look to him, look to his word, and live out his word. He's your joy, he's your assurance, he's your confidence. And real change takes time. It's often long and drawn out. But again, we we need to remind ourselves, God is in you and with you. And he loves you too much to leave you as you are. Press on and press in to your relationship with Jesus Christ. How are you making progress in your fight against sin? How are you making progress in your fight against sin and growing in your efforts to live a life that's pleasing to God? What is it that actually causes you to change? Paul has shown us the answer. It's not rules. It's not even mysticism or legalism or anything. It's Jesus Christ and being one with him. 2 Corinthians three eighteen, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God has given us so much. He's given us a new identity new desires and affections to live for Him and please Him. He's given us the very life of God, His Spirit, who personally indwells us and provides the divine power needed to conform us to the image of Christ. God is a giving God. And ultimately, as we know, God gave His own Son for us. He sent His Son into the world. Jesus left heaven for earth. He is perfectly obedient suffered at the hands of evil leaders, and then did what mind can't comprehend. He took our place on the cross to bring us forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And he rose from the dead to bring us home. We've had a change of address. We've died with him, and we shall live with him. Christ saved you in the past. Christ sanctifies you in the present. And Christ secures you to the end. And trust yourselves to your Savior. Christ is enough, brothers and sisters. You are His and He is yours, and you can sing. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine! Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His spirit, washed in His blood." In closing, Bernard of Clair- Clairvaux, he said, "We drink of thee the fountainhead, and thirst our souls from thee to fill." hold fast to Christ, and drink from no other fountain than your all-sufficient, all-satisfying Savior. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your grace and salvation. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who indeed is everything we need. We not only, he not only made the world, but is Lord of all creation. He's eternal and will never perish. His word endures forever. He's the very wisdom of God, and he's the focus of our faith. Help us to persevere in the faith, to not lose sight of the hope of the gospel, and to not to be carried away by false teachers and false religion. Penetrate the, the truth that we've died with Christ and, that we, and have been raised to walk in newness of life in our hearts, and help us to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. Thank you that we, are no longer, we no longer belong to this world. And because of Jesus Christ, we will one day truly be home. Come, Lord Jesus, we wait for you. And as we wait for you, help us to show the world what our king is like. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.